Hello and welcome back to Brits on Flicks. I'm your host Graham Davidson, and with me, as always, is Brian Lomax from Brian Lomax Movie Talk. And this month we are going to be reviewing the guest, which is your choice, Brian. So would you like to let everybody know why you chose the guest and your first sort of experiences with the movie? Yeah, uh, I when I first saw this film, I reviewed it on my channel. And this is in the days when I was doing my uh, out of ten system, and believe it or not, I gave this film a five out of ten. Um, <laughs> I I'm not sure I quite realised what this film was the first time I saw it. Um, I enjoyed the setup and. It, it was when a particular character gets killed that all of a sudden the film lost me. And, yeah, I, I, I didn't recover from that on that first watch. But, like I said, I got, I got my review out. Um, I, I hadn't heard anything about the film. Other people hadn't seemed to have reviewed the film at the time. So I, I, just, I just gave my thoughts and put it out there. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> all these reviews started coming out and they were all hailing it as this awesome film, this like cult classic. And I literally seemed to be the one voice in the crowd that didn't like this movie. Um, but my brother, anyway, he, he's, he's big on 80s movies. He's, he's big on the 80s period. So I, I, I kind of felt like maybe it's the film for him. Uh, so I, I bought it for him for his birthday, and because I was curious as well, just gi- given how different my opinion was to everybody else's, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll get it in for his birthday and I'll sit and watch it with him. And we did. We sat sat together and watched it. And on that second viewing, all I could ask was, what the hell was I smoking that when I did that review? Because, the, the yeah, the film went up. Uh, in my estimation, by by a, a country mile, it must be said. Um, yeah, completely different take second time round. Absolutely loved it. Took it for what it was, um, and then I, I I bought it on Blu-ray, and I've just watched it a couple of days ago for obviously for research for this podcast, and I absolutely loved it on that viewing as well. So like, it gets better each time that I've watched it. I remember being in the cinema and seeing the, the trailer for this uh, a couple of times, and there was two very different trailers. So you had one trailer that made it look like a kind of thriller, where a say army guy turns up at a house and you're not quite sure what's going on. Then, a few movies later, I went to see another movie, and this other trailer for the guest appears that makes it look like an action-packed action movie. And I'm like, what the hell is this? These two trailers are just so in odds with each other that I need to see this movie so obviously you jump onto IMDB and I found out that it was from the director and writing team that did Your Next a movie that I really liked when I was seeing it in the cinema um, which even just made me more hyper to see it and when I walked out of it the first time I was with a huge grin on my face and I was just like yes that was utterly fantastic that ticked every single box that I had that I needed ticked and it just was a perfect, perfect movie for me. I, I absolutely love it. And it was, for the longest time, once I picked it up in Blu-ray as soon as it came out, whenever somebody was over at my house, I would throw it on. 
and uh, and watch it. I would more kind of watch their reaction while they were watching it, mm-hmm. um, just to see. And and undoubtedly throughout the movie, they would turn to me and go, "What the hell's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> of course, I would tell them nothing and just watch it. So I've seen this movie quite a few times. I, I just watched it a few hours ago, and I am good to talk about this thing. Right, so. Where do we start on this? Well, I guess we start with a synopsis, um, which is coming up. So, the guest. A soldier named David returns from duty and visits the Pattersons, a family of one of his fallen comrades. After ingratiating himself into their home, he appears to be the perfect answer to a family that seems to be falling apart at the seams, helping each family member in different ways. But when people start dying, the Patterson children, Anna and Luke, begin to suspect that David might be the reason. Just why he might be involved, however, could be a lot more complicated than anyone could have imagined when it turns out that David is the result of a failed military experiment. But now that failure is costing Anna and Luke the lives of their friends and family, can they stop David before he gets to them? And just how much will the Pattersons come to regret taking in the guest? Fantastic. OK, so I guess the first comment I've got to say is, you know, how would you label the genre of this movie, Brian? <laughs> I would say it is a thriller slash action slash horror slash drama slash high school musical. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely a little bit of everything in this one. And it's one of the weirdest tones that I've seen in a movie. And on watching it and rewatch again, I think if I had to pinpoint it down to one specific genre, I think I would go for horror. Mm. In an unconventional sense, because I really do think that this is a, a slasher movie, but it takes the point of view of having the slasher as your main character, the character you, you're kind of following for much of the story. Mm. Um, and you have all these sort of like horror themes through a set of Halloween. It has these really weird noises that interrupt scenes for no reason, like the whole wow, and it kind of drowns the sound out, and you're like, just odd, the ominous music that plays, but David himself, I think, is the very the very origin of like a Michael Myers type character, only with a lot more charisma and a little bit more <laughs> articulate. You know? Yeah. I mean you don't you get rumours of his of his background, you know, a failed military experiment. Uh, an unstoppable killing machine that will do nothing to, to get to the end of his mission, whose emotions don't come into play, you know, other than what helps him to survive. He's just the ultimate killing machine with a smile. <laughs> yeah, I mean I mean that's the thing, isn't it? It's the fact that he is charming and it's the fact that actually for much of the film you kind of identify with him. You're kind of on his side. Like when he's helping the family out in various ways, pr- primarily with the with the youngest one, Luke. Mm-hmm. Um this this kid's being bullied at school. And I think anyone who's experienced bullying of any kind at school will attest to having feelings of just wanting someone like that to come into their life and basically 
give the bullies a good scene to and that's what he does and that instantly gets us on his side what he is doing is wrong there's no two ways about it how he goes about things is wrong but we get to live vicariously through his actions we get to be that confidence and that assurance that he brings to the situation um, without obviously without there being any kind of punishment, without there being any consequences. And it kind of reminds me in many ways of Dirty Harry. Um, you know, it's, it's a, I've just watched the Dirty Harry series recently, or at least I'm halfway through them, and that was one of the things that kind of that came out of that film, is that actually this guy isn't really a guy you would want as your friend, but for the sake of a character on film... He gets to do things that, in secret, deep-seated, underneath, perhaps we would actually all like to do at times. And, and that's what David is here. He's doing things that actually, if we admit it to ourselves, if we could get away with it, if we had that level of confidence, we'd kind of like to do ourselves. Mm. It, even when it's setting up the, the tone of the movie, at the very start of it, you have a meeting... Um, the mother of the family and you have him telling this war story about his son and, and you don't suspect anything it's a movie where you don't really know where it's going to go and it's not until you say it gets that some alone time and he does that thousand yard stare that Dan Stevens does so perfectly in the, in the movie and the ominous music plays in that you realise that this guy isn't quite all that he seems to be but it's great watching his interactions with each of the family members as he kind of studies them at first and then changes his tact to suit that person. Mm. I noticed it more so this time around, especially with the father. He turns down the first drink when he sees that his father's constantly taking the drinks, then yes, he'll take it. You know, he relates to the mother by telling stories of her son who make her very emotional. Mm. It's yeah, it, that, that I actually wrote that in my notes. I actually wrote, he is whatever each character needs him to be. Um, you know, I, I love how the dad is dead set against David staying. And yeah. after a couple of beers, he becomes like his best bud. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's like it's a sign of David's ability to break down barriers. Um, you know, he comes out with that line... Uh, blowjob shots for the ladies and cosmopolitan for the guys as well and it's just it's like um when they're in that that that's my favorite scene actually is is that bar scene um but he 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 is being to this kid what he needs him to be he's he's being the confidence that, that this kid doesn't have he he's not confident enough to tackle the, those guys like this but he's being that for him you know he's he's being the physical threat as well for for this kid um and then when he goes to the party to um Anna's, that, that Anna goes to a party and she reluctantly mm -hmm. takes him with her and again he's he's reading the signals and he knows what she wants him to be and he does that so he's basically an infiltrator he's a terminator he's a T800 he's a perfect infiltration unit that's that's what he does um you know he goes in he assesses the situation and he blends in as best as as possible and that's kind of what 
you feel like this military experiment is. That's what he's been designed to do, is to infiltrate and then carry out whatever mission he's been sent on while he's there. And at this point, the mission he feels he's on is to basically make sure that this family is okay because he promised that to to this to this guy the son of of the of the family um and so that that's what he sees his mission as but obviously when that when that all goes wrong he reverts back to early mission parameters which is actually get rid of everything clean up the evidence and get out of there um so in one respect you kind of feel like he genuinely cares. He does care about this family. He cares about completing his mission. Um, but then programming kicks in and he does the unthinkable. He does what he, you know, he doesn't really want to do. And I think we see that in his reaction to what he does to the mother. But we'll we'll get to that, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, no it's... it's... He's almost like a, a genie comes in and he makes everybody's wishes come true. Yeah, point. You know, he gives the, the 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 mother a son back, gives the, the the father an excuse to drink and a drinking partner and his job that he always wanted, gives the son some confidence, but he never quite breaks down uh, Anna's barriers. You know, he, he kind of he bends them at some point, becomes mm. he, he can never quite tie down what she wants. And that's how she's always second guessing what he he is or what why he's there, mm. um, and that is until everything goes belly up later on in the, in the movie. But I think Dan Stevens' performance is is absolutely fantastic. I've never seen the guy better. I've seen him in a couple of things, and I've never thought he's all that great. <laughs> but in this movie here, he is so good. So good that people started touting him as the next James Bond, you know. <laughs> I, I'd be up I'd, for seeing that. I'd be up for seeing that definitely. I, I think I'd like like him to get a few more years on him, but mm. um, but in this movie, he's tremendous. The way he can go, he, the way he changes his person, personality and his traits just ever so slightly, or the way he can be an aggressive, threatening, sort of testing mode, finding out what the situation's like before breaking back into a smile. You know, like when he's talking to Luke in the hallway and Luke's pretty much saying, I, I know exactly what you've been up to, but mm. I just don't care. We're friends. <laughs> and then the smile appears on his face and he's like, yeah, of course we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's, he has a very dry delivery with a lot of lines, actually. And it, yeah. it's that, again, I, I watched Your Next fairly recently, actually. Um, I've got a review for that going up on my channel pretty soon. Uh, but... Um, it has that very same dry, kind of dark humour that your next had. Mm. And what what I find Adam Wingard and uh, writer, I, I can't Simon remember, Barrett. Simon Barrett, it. what I find this team are very good at doing is taking a kind of pre-existing genre and then not reinventing it, because I think that word is bandied about far too much, but just shaking it up a little kind of yeah. playing playing with your expectations you know so you come into this and and you, and you think uh, okay it's, it's a thriller it's one of those guy comes into the house you know a house a house of a family that is kind of torn apart at the moment they're, they're not in a good place you've got the the the, the dad 
and the mum kind of arguing with each other. They're not on the same page. He thinks he feels like she wants him to be higher up in their company, which kind of puts them a bit in a difficult spot with each other. And then you've got these kids that are clearly having trouble at schools. You've got emotional problems. They've got behavioural problems. And they're just... It's not happy families, basically. Mm-hmm. And so... The expectation there from a thriller aspect, if, if you look at the history of thrillers, these kind of thrillers where somebody comes into a broken family and they're a psychopath, they mess things up, but by the end of the film, that family becomes a cohesive unit. By going through the struggle of, of who, whoever this psychopath is and, de- and, and overcoming it, defeating him by the end, the family is drawn closer together and they're able to put aside their differences. So that, to me, was the expectation set up. And that is also the reason why, first time around, I didn't like the film, because Mm. the moment he stabs the mother in the chest, that's when, oh, boom, all my expectations have just been thrown out the window. Um... She's dead. She's gone. It's like, well, how does that fit in line with my uh, my notions of where this is going to go? Uh, okay, maybe that death of the mother is going to bring the father closer to the to the daughter and the son. Then, literally <laughs> five, five five minutes later, boom, dad's gone. So by that point, I literally don't know what to expect. I don't know where this film is going. I don't know who is going to survive. Moments after that, he walks straight into the cafe and does some more damage. And you're just thinking, what on earth? So literally, yeah, like you say, that's, that slasher vibe really kicks into gear. By, by this point, it's the final 20 minutes of Halloween. Michael Myers is going on the rampage, and we don't know who's going to get out alive. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> definitely a mix of genres, and Dan Stevens really nails every facet of this character, especially the dry wit. And yeah. th- there's a moment when the when the kid, when Luke, um, he's, you know, he comes home with this black eye, and he says, uh, "I got hit, hit with a bo- with a ball in gym class," and uh, David just says, "Yeah, that could happen." Um, but it's just his delivery, absolutely perfect. Yeah, there's two other moments where I think the delivery sort of shouldn't be what the way it is, but it works so well. Uh, like when he's buying the guns, and he's just easily just saying, "You know, I'll take them all." And he's like, you "Sure, I, yeah, I can do a deal. You can buy them all." And he's like, "No, I'm going to take them. I'm going to kill both these and take all the guns." <laughs> 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 just so matter of fact about it. it. It is, and then the other one is, um, he's, he's, I think he's doing pumpkins with uh, Luke, and he just he's having mm-hmm. about, and he just turns around and goes like, you know, you know those guys that bully, just, just go to their house and set it in fire. What's the worst <laughs> that's going to happen? <laughs> um. Just such a throwaway, sadistic comment that just you you could almost miss it if you weren't paying full attention to what was actually getting said. Mm. Um, uh, just quickly, I just want to talk about the dad, Leland Orsha. I love this guy. Uh, most of the things I've seen him in, he, he, I really like him. I, I, I remember him very much from very bad things. Um, but uh, just he's got a very small role here. He just creates such a full character with the small scenes that he has. And again, like you said, it's such a disappointing sort of death he has because I didn't want to see him die, but it's necessary to shake up the movie. 
Because mm. yeah, when it gets to that point, I wouldn't be surprised if the only person to make it out of this movie would have been David. <laughs> yeah, bring on the sequel. He hits a new family. That's it. But um, no, I I like that guy as well. Uh, I mean. I remember one of the first things I saw him in was Alien Resurrection. Yeah. And he he seemed to be in a kind of a pattern at one point of playing these really erratic, kind of um, incensed characters who, who were just, like, filled with adrenaline, I guess, that are just kind of bouncing off the walls. He, he had that quality about him. And he has a very distinctive voice, I feel, so much so that... Actually, when I first saw the trailer for The Bone Collector, it was ruined. <laughs> I, like, I literally, I went into that film knowing exactly who the killer was. And when he has his first few scenes and then he kind of disappears and doesn't really come back till the end of the film, the whole time I'm sat there thinking, yeah, he's going to pop up, he's the killer, I know, because I heard his voice on the trailer. Um, so, yeah, very distinctively voiced actor, but a very good actor. And like you say, definitely adds a lot of nuances to this character that make him a fully rounded individual. Uh, one other actor I just want to pinpoint out is Lance Reddick. I love this guy. He's just got a look about him. He, he's this he concierge and John Wick. You know, the, he just mm-hmm. has this specific look and this is the first time I've really seen him doing something where he's like dressed all in black carrying like a, a, a submachine gun or something like that and the guy just has such an intense look about him he's one of these actors that just says a lot without saying much yeah I, I wish they hadn't put him in the long black matrix style <laughs> coat though I, I preferred I, I would have preferred it if it had turned up kind of Maybe geared up in military gear like the rest of the guys he's with, which he, which he kind of is, but he has that long black coat over the top. And just, just, I love the fact that they're in, the, is it Texas they're in? Yeah, you know, yeah. The beating sunshine and he's wearing all black leather. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, also I'd, li- I'd like, I can't remember the name of the actress, but um, she's a proper Mimi Rogers lookalike. Uh, she plays the mother. Yeah, Sheila Kelly. Yeah, and she, she does a great job. Like, right at a very early stage, um, when we first meet her, we know we don't know a lot about her, but she has to she has to get quite emotional very early on. You know, she has those first few scenes with David, and it reduces her to tears because she's thinking about her son. And I think she does a very good job of giving us a way into this family, of helping us access the pain that this family has gone through. Um like you know the very thing that has brought David to them um yeah. so it, it it really humanizes her it humanizes her family and again like the performances all round with that with that core group with that family really makes you feel that they are a real family you know um and i think that helps and it it certainly makes me and like for example i feel it is a testament to the writing and to the performances, just how how sad it made me feel when these two parents get killed. Because in any other slasher movie, I wouldn't give a toss when the parents get killed. You know, if, if this was the Friday the 13th movie or a Halloween film, mm. when you kill the parents, half the time you're kind of hoping it's going to happen. 
Um, you know, you you're waiting for it. You're ticking ticking the uh, the time away to, for, for when it's going to happen. Whereas here, well, well, here's here's another way to look at the movie. Okay, so you've got this disjointed family unit. It's just it's not working. There's something missing in the family unit. David turns up at their doorstep. The hero of the movie, your protagonist, who moves in and starts to fix this family unit and make all their dreams come true. Then you have the sort of wild child Anna, the antagonist of the piece, who isn't happy that he's making everybody happy, who mm. wants to ruin things, and by con- contacting the army, ultimately causes the death of everybody, you know, because <laughs> she doesn't like the fact that everybody's happy. So, so, you're, say, so you're saying she's the villain. He's the <laughs> she's hero. the villain. She's, she's the him. villain of the piece. That's You know, we laugh, but that's a very good reading of it, actually, because they set him up as the protagonist. You know, mm-hmm. we in any other movie, Anna would be the protagonist. She'd be the yeah. one that we follow. And it's, it's, it's kind of half and half. You know, David gets the most screen time. We're, we're, we're with him most of the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like that take on it, to be honest. It, th- this is his mission. Somebody comes up and, and screws it up. And that has consequences in the same way that for Dirty Harry, you know, he catches his man. That man has kidnapped someone and buried her. That has consequences. He has to act. So he, he does some uh, some nasty things to the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she's forced his hand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Michael Monroe is pretty good in the role as Anna as well. Yes, Michael Monroe pretty much gave... An amazing one-two punch. Oh yeah. Um, with this and it follows, uh, ve- very very close to each other. I think maybe released the same year, if not certainly a year, only a year apart. Um, both kind of eighties influenced movies as well. They both have these kind of eighties soundtracks. I gotta say, I prefer the soundtrack overall to this film than I do to It Follows. Yeah, I think it follows has a uh, has a few cracking uh, pieces of music, but overall, I think um, the guest just remains solid throughout. I I love the soundtrack to this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you spot the nods to uh, your next within the movie? Well, well, I I I didn't because, like I say, I I only saw your next literally um, last night actually, um, just after. And it was the night before that I'd watched the guest again. So, mm-hmm. um, in the party scene, somebody's wearing the mask, one of the masks, the the the, the lamb one, I think it is. Ah. Oh. Um, you also notice in the part in that party scene, somebody's walking about in a full sized cow outfit. Just <laughs> weird. Um, and then when they're at the mirror scene at the end, it says you're next on the wall. Oh yes, yeah. cracking. Now that's been that. That finale of the movie, the action set piece, like you said, thinking it goes haywire, and then the army turns up at the house, and then you get this death scene of the mother that you were talking about that kind of impacts a turning point in the movie. Mm. And then it kind of snowballs into further action, and then they get to this Halloween party in the school hall, I'm assuming it is, where David, Luke, and Anna have their face off. And this thing's... I mean, it looks amazing. It's it's the best decorated kids' Halloween party I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so atmospheric with the mirrors, the smoke, all the gravestones, mm. that thumping soundtrack that Anna made for David playing over. It's a great finale to the movie. 
I'd love to know, actually, if in American high schools, whether they do go to those lengths to put on uh, these... uh, Because you always see it in films, their their prom nights and their Halloween parties and, you know, anything they do at these schools always tends to be, like, something just unreal, completely Mm -hmm. off the charts. Uh, I, I don't ever remember any parties like that at the schools I, I attended that, that even came close <laughs> to being Quite that not. good. Not at all. Uh, just, I, I always find amusing the idea of a mixed tape. Um, it, <laughs> it seems it, dated already. It really does. Uh, but it's just like, it's this idea that actually music is a part of you. It's a part of your identity and... By, by putting together a mixtape, you know, there's, there's that film High Fidelity and a lot of, a lot of his kind of investment in, in, in women is, is kind of sold on how they react to his mixtape and whatnot. And uh, it, it is, it's kind of an expression of yourself. There's, um, the, the thing is that the film to me just feels like a collection of one great scene after another, like I said, the I said that my favourite scene was the the bar scene when uh, David buys the drinks for the guys and the girls. Um, but there's so many other scenes as well that are just fantastic. That are just like within their own right. Ah, oh, that's a classic scene from the film. I love the scene where David and the mother go into the school because yeah. the principal's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so um so the son has just hit back against one of the bullies and so David just basically goes in there and he completely owns the room. He owns the situation. And the, and the mum just sits there kind of I love the reactions on her face. Um at first she's kind of like very sheepish and kind of like you, you can see that she would be easily pushed around by this principal. But David's just having none of it, and he knows exactly how to bring this guy down. He knows exactly how to manipulate him and play him. And then by the end of it, the mother is just like, "Yeah, woo!" <laughs> <laughs> and they and they both leave, you know. And he's again, he's 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 being what she needs him to be, and he's being what the kid needs him to be. Um, he, he's very heroic in that regard. It's just again, his mo his his ways of doing things. Are very very questionable, mm-hmm. but that that the, the guy that plays the principal is excellent. The way he goes from kind of confident to completely buckling and just <laughs> not knowing what's just happened in this situation, things have just got so out of hand. Yeah, let's move on to some of the action in the movie because when mm-hmm. the action comes, it's, it's pretty fast and furious, yeah. um, and there is some hand to hand combat scenes. Like you said, the one in the bar uh, is particularly good where he just yeah. kind of yeah, I mean he, he knows the full layout he sets everything up from the, the, the drink that he's going to use this, like a pepper spray almost <laughs> to just letting the guys pretty much beat up on each other mm. yeah. yeah which he does do the only time he, he really hurts one of them is when one of them starts to attack um, Luke yeah. when he breaks his ankle you know um, and then you've got the there's a fight scene within the, the party <laughs> I see fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> he just throws someone's head against the wall and then it's over, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then you get to this kick-ass action scene that just comes from nowhere where it's like um, straight out of an Arnold Schwarzenegger 80s movie. You've got all these <laughs> tattooed, hulking guys carrying more gunfire than like a small Bolivian army. It's just 
crazy the amount of bullets they put in that house. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a nice burst of action, I think. Um, to 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 a large degree, the the, the finale in the Halloween kind of party is mm. almost a bit anticlimactic. I think. Um, it 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 does kind of it just it just kind of to be it's just over all of a sudden like they have this very short scuffle it doesn't get particularly bloody or anything um, but but I was I was expecting something a bit a bit bigger a bit gra- more grandiose in the in the bloodletting department just mm-hmm. you know because because the film has been so over the top to the, up to this point and then you're in this Halloween setting kind of thing. I was expecting things to get a little bit completely off the walls, but it doesn't. And you know what? Hey ho! It doesn't really matter because everything else up until that point has just been so on form and and so enjoyable. But, but think about like all the way David's actions throughout the movie are kind of minimalist. They're all kind of serve a purpose for him. So like when he, <clears throat> he attacks people, he tries to attack them with the same minimum amount of force required. To, deal with the job type of thing. So when it goes to the end piece, if he was overly violent or say sadistic with these kills, it wouldn't say fit into his aesthetic of the rest of the movie. Oh, I I, I disagree with that. I I think there's a def, a definite definite escalation throughout this film. You have um, other than the grenades. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. You you know you, like once he knifes the mum in the chest. Smashes a car into the father's car and shoots him in the head, and then drops grenades into a diner, blowing up their their best friend. I I think, yeah, I I don't I don't think he's been quite um, subdued. I, I think there's a an escalation. You can see the point in it though. Like he takes out the, the mother because he's about to phone the police. That's and he takes out the father because he obviously knows details about him. When he kills the girl in the diner, he's got all these witnesses, so he has to take them out. Yeah, grenades is the quickest and easiest way to do it. Yeah, I I think some of it as well is down to the fact that they wanted that ending in which he's still alive. You, yeah. you can't you can't have the kids go go too much to work on him because yeah, you know if if, if they slit his throat or you know like stab him twenty times and shoot him in the head and then yeah you can't have that final scene. And then you can't have us as an audience sitting there rubbing our hands together going, come on, bring on a sequel, please, which, yes, I do want. Um, I will say, what I do love about that final showdown, though, is when they do eventually take him down, I love the reaction from David when he looks over to them and he just goes... Good one, and he lifts his thumb in the air, and he just is so cheesy and so kind of big brotherly mm-hmm. that it's just like even now he he's he has his mission where like he knows he needs to kill them, but he kind of doesn't want to. He's become mm-hmm. a bit of a, a big brother figure to them, and he 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 actually quite enjoys that. I think. But he says during that chase sequence, like he's tried to think of another way out of this, mm-hmm. um, and I think at that point he kind of knows that. The fire's raging. He, he sees a way out, whether it's through death or really thinks he's going to maybe put somebody else in his place or that. And he just kind of lets the kids know that he's you know, kind of. I, I think that's a strange line when he says he's proud of him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> God, proud of you. Well done. <laughs> um, that that final 
ending as well when the, the limping fireman comes out of the building <laughs> and just gives a little wink. Mm. Oh, um, but I don't know if I would like to see a sequel. Mm. Because I feel this movie's pretty all-encompassing perfect, you know. There's yeah. so much story here that they could have told. They could have told David's uh, on that programme where he's, where he's getting mm-hmm. programmed into all these things. That, and, but ultimately, this is the story that I like, and I don't know how I would feel about another story with the same character. No doubt, I'm sure it will come at some point. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the film has gained a pretty big following now since its release. Um, I mean, the the IMDb grade is shocking, to be honest. I th- I think this is a, I think this has like a six point seven on IMDb, something like that, um, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, I I think if a, a lot of the people that gave the low ratings went back and watched it. Yeah, like I like I did. Um, if if they gave it another another go, I think they'd find that actually. That they change their opinion, and I, I do think it just comes down to the, you know, not knowing what to expect, and when you and when you, when you think you have the film figured out, when you think ah yeah you know like I did. Guy comes up comes in upsets the balance, makes the family grow closer. And then you learn, actually, no, it's not that at all. All your expectations are gone. Because as much as we like original movies, as, as much as we like things that kind of uh, take us in completely different directions to we, than what we're used to, I think audiences also like to be handed their expectations. You know, that's why they go and see Transformers 4, Transformers 5. You know, it, they know what to expect with a Michael Bay Transformers film. And as much as we criticise them, as much as we say they're crap, at and times, they you, and they are, they are. Um, except the first one, I enjoyed the first one. The but, first one's okay. Yeah, but but it's just, you do. You know, you, I, I go to a Resident Evil film and I know it's going to be crap. I know it is. If I have any other kind of expe- expectation beyond the film being rubbish then I'm setting myself up for a huge fall. But it's a certain kind of rubbish. And I think that this film, The Guest, it doesn't do that. It is a good film. It's very well made. It's very well scripted. It's very well directed. It's brilliantly acted. And the thing that it does is it sets up your expectations and gives you none of them. It takes you in completely different places. And I think, to some degree, uh, as an audience member, and as I proved I didn't like that, not the first time around. But when you can come to the film knowing what it is, you can accept it on those terms, then I think it becomes a much a much better beast. Um, a very good film indeed, I must say. Yeah, I think it's how, whatever you go into the movies, like, I think um, the average movie goer, the person that only goes, like, a couple of times a year or something, or checks out a movie, wants to see their expectations fulfilled. But people who go constantly to the cinema who watch a lot of movies are mm. happiest when they have something that subverts their usual expectations and I think yeah. that's why I, I when, especially when I get movies like this that really do circumvent the typical plot lines I'm really really happy and I should embrace them like I did with this one mm. there isn't a right lot else I can say other than I just think it's a really brilliantly crafted film um 
and I just find it more and more enjoyable with each time I watch it. Like, like I say, I, I, I gave it the equivalent of a, of a two and a half out of five the first time I saw this. Um, and then I watched it with my brother and that went up to a, a three and a half out of five. You know, I, I gave it a whole extra star. This time round, I, I, I'm, I'm bumping it up again. I'm going to give it a four because as I watch it, I just find that with each scene, I'm really enjoying it. Like, I can pick a scene out and just sit there and watch that scene. And there doesn't seem to be any connective tissue there. You know, there's no scenes that are there purely to connect the previous scene to the next one. It feels like every scene has something to offer that kind of really, as, as, a, as a movie lover kind of floats my boat um so and it's and it's all really well developed characters really well-rounded characters you know like, like like we've pointed out you don't get much from the father but you feel like you know who this guy is um so yeah i i think it's brilliant i think dan stevens is fantastic in it i'd only known this guy from uh downton abbey you know i i like downton abbey i think it's a really great show but if you'd have told me this guy, this guy from Downton Abbey was the one who was going to be playing a psychopath, a military guy, someone who's quite buff, I'd have, I'd have laughed you out of the room. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a, few other a few other actors in, in Downton Abbey that you, you might be able to sell me on that concept. But Dan Stevens? <laughs> really? The dweeb from the first few seasons? The love interest? No way. And then, you know, I go, I watch this film, and I'm like, boom, this guy is an actor. This guy can differentiate himself from one part to the next. Um, and he does a pretty decent American accent to boot. So, uh, yeah, cracking film, excellent film. And like I say, after recently seeing Your Next, uh, also giving that a four-star rating, Alan Wingard has been has become someone that I'm very much excited to see what he's going to do next. I believe he did the last thing he did was the Blair Witch. Yeah, yeah, it's one that I, yeah. I didn't want to check out. I didn't fancy at all. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I but I, I, I don't I know think... if you if you heard the backstory about that, but they announced a movie called The Woods. Right. Okay. Um, and I was super hyped for that because. I like these guys, and I was like, oh, I, I cannot wait to see that. And then about two months beforehand, they came out and went, surprise, it's really a sequel to The Blair Witch. And my oh. expectations went from up here, just <laughs> right down. Because I want to see these guys do original stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Def definitely better when, when, the, when the material's coming from them and, and not beholden to something else. I mean, I would still like to see it, actually, because... I mean, is, did Simon Garrett have script duty on that as well? Yeah, he did. Right. Well, I, I will watch it then. I will give that a watch, because if they can bring the same kind of dark humour to Blair Witch that they did with the, with the previous two efforts, then it might be worth a watch, I think. But, yeah, definitely on the strength of these two films. Uh, the Guest being my favourite, I think, just by a margin, although, like I say, I've seen it three times, where I've only seen your next once. Uh, yeah, really looking forward to their future, um, and I hope they stick together. So four yeah. out of five for the guest from me. Uh, my, my score hasn't changed from the first viewing. 
and it's quite simply a 5 out of 5 for me. It's a movie that ticks all the kind of boxes, the things that I love and I want to see in a movie. And um, from the, the, the soundtrack to the, the subverting, the, the typical movie tropes that you normally get to just this towering performance to the, the, the really dry humour that comes out, which I quite like dry humour myself. Um, that strange delivery. I don't know if you notice that, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like I said, there's some nice touches from Adam Wingard in the, the direction as well. The scene in the hallway where the camera is spinning round, Luke and David as they're talking, is really nice touches. He has these really nice touches within them. Mm. Nice choice of angles, and the cinematography is always very good. I think this is a terrifically fun movie. And like I said, it was one that I, I kind of push on to people whenever they're here. And of all the people I showed them to, not one of them turned around and said they didn't like it. Everybody mm. kind of really liked it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a terrific movie. I love it. And Blair Witch, an exception. I really can't wait to see what these guys are going to do next. Again, I think he's attached to another remake. Oh. Um, and it is I Saw the Devil. Okay. All um, right. I'd rather see these guys do original stuff. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, Brian, we actually had a change of plan for the top five for this episode, am I right? We did, yeah. I mean, I basically, last episode, I so wasn't prepared. I hadn't come up with anything, and I spewed out whatever nonsense came to my head first time. I, 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 for some reason, I said top five British actors who've given an American performance, and that was just ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I contacted you over over social media and said let's change it to top five 1980s thrillers um now i don't know about you but when i was putting my list together i you know i i was looking at, at all the movies that i've rated on imdb using their filters to kind of get me down to thrillers mm -hmm. there are a lot of movies that fit into the thriller character so you know uh, films like terminator films like alien uh, you know a lot a lot of those kind of films films like near dark but those films, they have, you know, they have, like, science fiction bents or horror bents yeah. or, you know, fantasy bents to them. Um, so when I was compiling my list, I was, I was trying to stick primarily with movies that are, are grounded, that are, that are down to earth, they're not meant, you know, they don't really fit that well into other genres. They're, they're primarily a thriller. Um, there's one film on my list that, kind of verges into a little bit of sci-fi as well but um the rest yeah that's that's kind of what i was going for but uh i'm glad to hear that I because that's what i've done as well i, I had a look at them and ah, everything was like action thriller horror thriller you know blah 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 and i was just like no what can i whittle down to being like proper just thrillers you know yeah. this is one of the rare top fives where i won't be cheating um Right. So, <laughs> so who's going to go first Excellent. on this one? Let you go first this time. I think I usually go first on these. Okay. So. Uh, my number five is a movie called The Stuntman. Now, okay. I only saw this for the first time. I think it was either last year or the year before. Uh, the movie stars Peter, <coughs> excuse me, Peter O'Toole as a, a film director and basically a fugitive kind of stumbles onto a movie set just as they're requiring a stuntman. <laughs> and he becomes the stuntman on this 
motion picture, but the director is one of these really in-your-face kind of subversive directors, and it becomes a kind of thrilling game of does he know that he's a fugitive? Is he playing a double-edged sword against him? What's going to happen? You're never quite sure. And it's, uh, it's, I don't want to tell you too much because it's a thriller with a mystery kind of in it as well, but it is a very good movie. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, my number five is Brian De Palma's Blowout, um, starring John Travolta. He plays a sound guy. Rather bizarrely, yeah, our, our both our choices involve people within the film industry. So this is a guy who records sound for, for movies and things. Um, and he, he accidentally records the sound of a woman being murdered. Um, and, yeah, so the, the the thriller kind of comes out of that. But that's another film that kind of plays on expectations. It's very Hitchcockian, which is to be expected with Brian De Palma. He kind of, I think he modelled himself on Hitchcock in many ways. But it's, it's just a really solid film, and it's got a, a very good... Uh, closing act, a very a very good final act, um, which is also very visually stunning. I think um, so. Yeah, really good film. Yeah, Blowout is one of those movies that I've seen before, but we're talking like a good fifteen years or so since I last saw it. I picked up the mm. Blu-ray not long ago, so I wasn't comfortable putting it on the list because it's been such a time since like I last saw it. Yeah. Uh, but my number four is. Uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, Sam Neill's Dead Cam. Dead Cam. Yeah. Um, which is basically a couple on a yacht when they, they find someone kind of floating in the sea. And um, it's basically three people, one location, and one of them's a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> it's expertly done. It's really well filmed, considering it's, it's on this yacht most of the time. Great performances all around. It's a terrific movie. Yeah, it it is a it is a very good film. Um, it's 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 been a long time since I've seen it, but it did come very close to being in my top five, um, if for no other reason than Nicole Kidman. But <laughs> it's it's certainly Billy Zane's best film. Let's let's put <laughs> it that easily. way. <laughs> what about Phantom? Uh, yeah, moving on. Um, <laughs> my number four is Witness, starring Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. um, who basically goes undercover in an Amish community to protect these witnesses to a murder. And through it, he he learns more about the Amish community. He, he kind of puts aside a lot of his prejudices that he has when he goes in there. And... Yeah, um, so it's just it's a really good story, expertly directed by Peter Weir, um, one of my favourite directors, directed The Truman Show, which is one of my top five movies of all time. Um, and, yeah, just a great film. Uh, one of one of Harrison Ford's best performances as well, I think. Yeah. So. Um, my number three <laughs> is Blood Simple. Uh, the Coen Brothers, um, and uh, do you know what I'm, I'm, I'm? Yeah, number three is Blood Simple. I'm, <laughs> I'm still dithering in my top five here, Brian. Um, it's a Coen Brothers like, debut movie. <laughs> what, a, what a debut! It's unbelievable. It's basically about a a rich, jealous guy that hires a a private detective to kill his wife and his new lover. But it's so much more than that. It's got some fantastic scenes. And for these guys who pretty much 
the story behind it is almost as good as the story that's actually in the movie itself. But simple as one hell of a debut. It's got some terrific performances in it. It already starts to show off the Cohen's talent in some of the scenes. And it's a movie that tends to get almost kind of forgotten a little bit with their current city filmography, but it's one that definitely is an essential watch and a great thriller. Yeah, it, it, it again, another film that narrowly missed being in my top five. Um, it's not my favourite Coen Brothers film. It's it's no. it's very dark film, um, but it, it it introduced a lot of the ideas that the Coens are so often kind of associated with. I mean, that idea of hiring hitmen to kill your spouse is something that's appeared in quite a few of their movies, actually. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's it, it all started with that film, with Blood Simple, which, again, it, it is a cracking film. Um, my number three is the movie that essentially started the cinematic world of the Hannibal Lecter character, and that is Manhunter, Michael Mann's Manhunter. <clears throat> Absolutely brilliant serial killer thriller, uh, in my mind, a bit more grounded version of Hannibal Lecter. I don't. I don't think there are many people who would say they preferred Brian Cox's Lecter, but I. I think if you're going for realism, definitely his feels more, more realistic, more down to earth. Um, but so yeah, Tom Noonan is absolutely fantastic as the Tooth Fairy. Uh, really sinister. Uh, th- I mean, this guy can just play creepy like naturally. I think it's just. <clears throat> it's just a quality that he has, but he does it brilliantly here. But he also has a few tender moments in the film that kind of give you a bit of humanity to this guy. So, And Will, William Peterson as well. I, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for this film. I, I think he he plays obsessed very well. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a brilliant thriller about two sides of the same coin. You know, you've got a killer who... who what he does is an obsession to him. And then you've got a police police officer who... Well, a detective who hunting down his prey is equally an obsession to him to the point that he almost becomes like the killer in his obsession. Um, so, yeah, fantastic film. Michael Mann on form. One of his best films, I think. Uh, yeah, excellent. Yeah, and when I said I, I, I wasn't cheating this top five, I'm just thinking about this movie and I'm thinking, oh, does it really fall under Thriller or does it fall under something else? My number two is Angel Heart. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. I'd, I'd say that falls primarily under the Thriller, I reckon. Yep, it stars Robert De Niro and Mickey Rourke back when he was uh, a little less punch drunk, shall we say. <laughs> And uh, it's basically a private investigator named Harry Angel who is hired by Robert De Niro's character to try and find this missing person. And the kind of investigation leads him on this weird and wacky uh, trip down into voodoo and all kinds of craziness. And it's a kind of horrible movie that leaves a bit of an aftertaste, but it sticks with you. Um, it's one of these movies with a twist. If you haven't seen it, I won't spoil it right here because I do think it kind of wastes the movie on first watch if you don't know what's about to come. And uh, that ending is just bleak as it can possibly be, I guess. Mm. Okay. That's me. I've not seen it. 
you've, you've not seen it? No. Right. I, I go out. Say again. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. What am I talking about? I uh, my mind jumped then. Sorry, I clearly wasn't listening. I have seen it. It's uh, it's one of my brother's favourite films, and he uh, got me to watch it with him a while back. And yeah, I know what you mean by that ending. It's yeah. um. <clears throat> hmm. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, my number two is The Dead Zone, which mm. is a Stephen King adaptation, uh, David Cronenberg. One of the best, in fact, I would say the best after The Shining uh, Stephen King adaptations, unless you count Shawshank Redemption. But um, if, if you're talking like his full novels, you know, when he's. Because Shawshank Redemption was kind of based on one of his short stories. Uh, that was. Very much more a Frank Darabont film, I think, than a Stephen King thing. Uh, but yeah, his, of his other efforts, I'd say that The Dead Zone is my second favourite Stephen King adaptation. Uh, one of the best performances I've seen from Christopher Walken, who doesn't really get leading man parts. He he no. always tends to get the you know supporting actor parts and he always does amazing stuff with it. You know, Christopher Walken's one of them guys that you can put in a film and whatever little bit he's got in that film, he he will just own it. He will yeah. he will be the standout. Um but here he gets to be leading man and man alive does it make me wish he had more leading men roles. Um because he just carries this film so well. His performance is just stunning in it. Absolutely stunning. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's about this guy who, who can see um, people's futures. When he, when he touches them, he, he kind of he gets, he can see what's going to happen in their future. And uh, what does he do with that power? Especially when he comes across the man who will one day be president and will, in his presidency, tumble us into a nuclear war. Again, an another another cracking little turn by Ma uh, Martin Sheen, who is on full-on kind of psycho mode, I guess, in this. Um, but, yeah, brilliant film. Check it out if you like those actors. It's, it's awesome. And did you ever watch the TV show, Brian? I didn't. I had no interest in it because I, I really love the film, so... Yeah, I me either. Um, <laughs> uh, I was just curious. My number one um, 80s thriller is The Untouchables. Okay. It does classify as a thriller, doesn't it? Does it? The Untouchables? The Brian yeah. De Palma? Yes. Is that 80s? Yeah. Wow, what year is that? For some reason, I, I had a feeling it was like 1991, but no, you must Eight, be right. It's 87. 87, good grief. I yep. think it's just because I first watched it around 91, so, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, it, it's always been a movie that kind of stuck with me, um, and I watched it a few months ago, and it, the thing just, right from the opening music, right at the start, just drew me into this world again. Mm. You know, it's Brian De Palma, at the height of his powers, working off a, a script by David Mamet, who was also at the height of his powers as well, and the two of these guys come together with a fantastic score. I mean, and then you've got, you've got Sean Connery's Oscar-winning performance, which, OK, was probably a sympathy nod by the, the, the Oscar community. Kevin Costner's great. 
Andy Garcia is fantastic. Robert De Niro, again, is terrific. And uh, Billy Drago is one of these kind of henchmen that you just hope that he's going to die a horrible death. And in this <clears> movie, he does. Um, it's got some good action set pieces in amongst it, especially with the, the four untouchable characters. But it's got the, the nod to Battleship Potemkin with the, the baby carriage going down the staircase in the final, the final third of the movie. Um, which went on a hell of a lot longer than I remembered for seeing it. And, and the way this, he manages to stretch the tension out over this elongated period of time of this pram going downstairs is unbelievably just white knuckles just watching that scene. But I think the, one of the best things about it is the music. I, I've been Since I watched it a few months ago, I've been walking about just humming the, the theme tune at work and things. It just pops in my head out of nowhere. It's just great piece of music it's all the way through this movie The Untouchables is a terrific film uh, if you haven't seen anything recently definitely give it a watch it's a lot better than you, you kind of remember or expect it to be I saw it a couple of times uh, in the early 90s and I thought it was really great <clears throat> and I saw it about two years ago mm-hmm. and didn't um, I I actually found that it didn't live up to my memories of it um, in the way that I'd hoped. Uh, I, maybe I need to check it out again. I, I'd be quite willing to do that. Um, you know, I, I, I do accept that sometimes it can just be the mood you're in. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I felt like a lot of it was heavy-handed. I, I, some of the scenes that I remember being really kick-ass, I went back and watched them, and I was like, oh, that that's not quite how I remember. Um but yeah, um, still a good film. But f- from that viewing, I wouldn't say a great film. But oh, I would suggest giving it another watch. Mm. Okay. Anyway, your number one, Brian. My number one is The Hitcher. This is a film starring Rutger Hauer. Um, it is my third favourite Rutger Hauer film after... Batman Begins, if that really counts as a uh, Rutger Hauer film. It doesn't really. He, he's, he's barely in it. Um, but if, if you're talking like proper Rutger Hauer films, there's just, Blade just Runner. For, for the people listening, your, your other one was Wedlock. <laughs> no. Uh, so you've got uh, Blade Runner and The Hitcher. If, if, if you don't know a right lot about um, Rutger Hauer, um, uh, maybe just Blade Runner... If, if, you, if you feel like maybe the only thing that he's done of, of any note is Blade Runner, then I urge you to check out The Hitcher because, wow, man, he is he is creepy in this film. He really goes to town on the old psychopath kind of route. Um, there's a possible supernatural element to it, Um I think they they play this guy like he could be some kind of demonic force, maybe the devil himself. Um, but they never they never go full on with it. They never say out and out, yeah, he yeah he is the devil, or he is you know a demon, or something like that. It's just that he does things in this film that make you think that he could just very well be the devil himself. Um, 
but it's a cracking performance from Rutger Hauer. C. Thomas Howell is also really great as this guy that he's stalking. It's a very simplistic film, and again, it's 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 one of the things that I love about this kind of movie is that there's no big grand plan. It's just you have a very simple concept. This 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 kid picks up a, a hitchhiker who turns out to be a psychopath who then stalks him for the rest of the movie. And that's it. That is all it is. And the fun comes out of, of all the situations this kid gets into with this psychopath going after him. Um, and, yeah, I love it. Absolutely brilliant film from the 80s. Uh, Top-rate thriller uh, with a really great turn from Rutger Hauer. And also Jennifer Jason Lee, who has... Spoiler alert... What a, one of the best death scenes um, in movies. I, I I strongly urge you not to check out the remake. Um, even, even once you've seen the original, don't check out the remake. But if you haven't seen the original yet, please, 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 please do not watch that remake until you have seen the original. I've I've never seen the remake. Um, Sean Bean, I believe, is it? Is, is he? Yes, yes. Um, the, the Hitcher was one that never quite made it onto my list, but was very close. It's one that I watched a lot when I was younger. Mm. Uh, terrific film. I agree with everything you've said there. Mm. Did you ever see the kind of movie that was marketed as its sequel, but really had nothing to do with it, called Kid? Uh, no. No? It, it starred C. Thomas Hill, um, as as a, a well a kid that goes back to his hometown to to kill the people that killed his parents, right? And and I remember okay. the poster art said like um, in fact let's see if I can draw this up here, um, he took you for the ride of your life in the Hitcher and now he's back, uh, right. but it had nothing to do with the Hitcher at all. They were just trying to like Try, trying to make it out as if it is a sequel. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hate it when they do that. I really do, but. That's a good list, and we had no, no matching pairs there at all, Brian. Mm, yeah, we had some that nearly made it. Some that nearly made See, it onto the only other one I had here that you never had in your list was uh, the stepfather. Right. Okay. Which I don't know if you've seen that or not. I don't think I have. No. Uh, Terry O'Quinn. That's his name. Um, ah, right. And, and okay. he. Um, it starts. He's, uh, the opening scene is he's in this house and he's just killed everybody that's in the house. He's the kind of father, and he leaves. And then next time you see him set up with another family, and basically what he's trying to do is find the perfect family unit. And if he doesn't get it, he ends up snapping and just <laughs> murdering everybody. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm, I'm sure there was at least two or maybe three of them. Ultimately. Wow, blimey! So they actually. Uh... And I'm sure there was a remake. Oh, good. oh man. The remake actually does sound... Uh, sounds familiar. Man alive, have I seen the remake? Oh, if I have, it was, it was a really poor film, I, I can tell you that much. Um, what one that didn't quite make my list was Fatal Attraction, mm -hmm. um, which is a really great film, uh, I and think, <laughs> And coined the phrase bunny boiler. It did, yeah. I was, I was just going to pick up on that. So, But, yeah, um, really great film. Okay, so let's move on to our What We Watched section. Um, things we've checked out recently that we just want to 
briefly touch on though. We'll try not to make it too long. Uh, I'll start off with a documentary that I watched today called Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold oh. story of canon films. I really want to see that film. I've I've not I've not seen it, um, but I, I hear so many great things about it. If if you're a, a product of the eighties and you've seen half these movies, this thing is a nostalgic trip and to see how these guys went about business is absolutely crazy, but to see some of the movies that they had their, their hands in, some of them are downright awful looking, some of them are shocking, some of them I've never even heard of in my entire life. But this was a really interesting sort of documentary, and I, I walked away with a list of movies that I now need to check out. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I saw Lego Batman recently. Obviously, uh, me being the big Batman fan, um, I'm... I'm you don't need to sell me that much on it. I I, I felt like it was really good, actually. Um, I feel like it probably plays better to fans of the character than it does to just a casual audience because there's so many in-jokes in there, so many things that you just wouldn't get if you're not familiar with the, the history of the character and the, the various medias he's been in. But yeah, as a Batman fan, I lapped it up. I really did. I thought it was. I thought it was cracking. Um, I gave it a four out of five. I I don't think it's quite on a par with the Lego Movie from a from a storytelling standpoint. But I'll probably watch it more just because, like I say, I'm a Batman fan, so this appeals directly to someone like me. Um, but yeah, I, I I liked it. I liked it a lot. Well, very recently, my daughter's been uh, off school ill, so we've been having like movie days, um, and after watching the biggest load of crap, I managed to twist things around and put on Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, Wes Anderson's movie. Now, I've seen this a few times, and my daughter loved it, but seeing it again, we actually watched it twice. Uh, I'd be, like, watched it on the Saturday, watched it on the Sunday again, because it was just fantastic. It's a movie that I'm really growing appreciative of more and more. Now for me it was always a four out of five movie but it moved up to a four and a half and I'm I'm sure a couple more watches oh. this thing's gonna go to a five. <clears throat> I love everything about it. I love the way it's animated, the way it's, it's designed, the way that the, the animals act so civilized but then eat like animals and I, I particularly love the fact that they use cuss. You know as I swear. I don't know yeah. why that just it just tickles me <laughs> and it adds a whole new aspect to the way they're actually seeing things. You know, who, who the cuss are you talking to? <laughs> I just really like it, but I think this is a fantastic adaptation, a fantastic <clears throat> movie, and I'm pretty sure one or two more watches it'll be a five star. Wow. It's uh, high praise indeed, I must say. I, I gave it a three and a half when I watched it. I've only seen it the once, man. <clears throat> um... A film that I absolutely cannot recommend is The Crow City of Angels. <sighs> Man, this was a painful, painful experience. Um, the first Crow film is great, mm -hmm. it really is. It's, it's, a, it's an absolute classic. <clears throat> I thought, how, how bad can this be? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a sequel that's not starring the original cast it, it's it's probably not going to be great but it can't be it can't be unwatchable this thing is unwatchable if i wasn't 
intending to review it on my channel, which I have done, I would have turned it off. I, I absolutely would have turned it off, consigned it to the bin, and never thought about it again. But as it happens, I did review it. I gave it half a star, which I think is the lowest rating I've ever given on my channel, as far as my reviews go. I mean, I have given films half a star before, but that's the first time on my on my YouTube channel that I actually gave a half star. That's how bad it was. So, yeah. Recently, I rewatched the a horror movie that I seen a good few years ago that I really like called Stakeland. Oh yes, I re I watched that for the first time recently, actually. Right. And I really like this because it's one of these ones. It's it's very low budget, but it doesn't really seem that way. Um, it it seems like a big, broad, sprawling story as it has Mister and Martin, the two main characters, just kind of traveling through America, trying to get to New Eden to safety, while a vampire kind of apocalypse has just decimated most of the country. And I think it's got some stunning photography that you don't really usually get in these kind of genre movies. It's almost like a post-apocalyptic as well, and it's like a road movie, and I really like the character of Mister, this badass vampire killer with a mysterious past and no name. You know, he just he yeah. gets called Mister. It's a terrific movie. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I gave it a three and a half out of five, but I, I think... I think on a second viewing, I, that could very very well get up to a four, I think. Yeah, um, I, I gave it a four. <clears throat> there's a, I, I don't know if you've seen the director's other film, uh, Cold, Cold in July, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. um, but the, that looks very interesting. I've not seen it. Well, uh, the, the director also did one called Mulberry Street, which was a werewolf story. Oh, right. Um, it, I don't know if you know, but the character of Mister um, also wrote Stakeland. And, yeah, yeah, and cold in July as well, and things like that as well. All right, wow, so excellent. Uh, yeah, um, I recently watched The Great Wall. Um, I, a very disappointing film, I must say. I mean, I was I didn't have high expectations because the trailers weren't particularly fantastic, but I'm a huge fan of Zhang Yimou. Uh, I I love, 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 love House of Flying Daggers. I love Hero. Um, I love some of his lesser-known works, uh, Red Sorghum, Judo, uh, Riding Alone for Thousands of Miles, uh, Not One Less, all really great kind of low-budget films. Uh, he did one called The Happy... The, Happy Times Hotel, which, if you've, if you've not seen, check out, because it's hilarious. Um... It it it's yeah he he's a fantastic director again Flowers of War the Christian Bale film uh, I think is highly underrated it's not a film I want to watch again just because it's it's really brutal it's it's very it's one of them that leaves you bruised after watching it um, but yeah Zhang Yimou is is one of my favourite directors so. To get this from him is is a bit of bit of a disappointment. It must be said. Visually, it's absolutely stunning. the The costumes, I said this in my review. I'll say it again. I think the costume designers for this film seriously deserve an Oscar nomination next next Oscar season. I mean, obviously we got we got much of the year ahead of us. We're barely into the year really, so we could get blown out of the water with costume design all over the place. 
but I would say this, uh, you know, at this point in the year, this is definitely an early contender for for best costume design at the Oscars. Other than that, it doesn't have a right lot going for it. The chemistry between the leads is is n- n- well, kind of non-existent. The script isn't particularly good, and I feel it's hindered by the fact that they have both Chinese. Um, language and English language going on at the same time. I feel like the actors are struggling to kind of gel, like gel with each other on, on that on that front. Um, and the, and the the humour in it just it just feels really forced. Like you've got these two main characters, Matt Damon um, and Pedro Pascal, and they they come across i think that they're meant to be these kind of han solo types you know these these vagabonds these rascals that you kind of love but you know that you should hate um and it just doesn't work i i i don't really buy it, it the, the dialogue between them feels really forced uh so yeah what can i say big disappointment yeah i i seen the great wall as well and i've got to see I'm pretty much with you on most of it. It was uninteresting, boring, repetitive, and just kind of rather dull. Although it was nice to see a white man go into a foreign country and save them, because that's something that we've not really seen before. You know, um, so I was quite, I was quite glad to see that aspect of the movie. You know, they've been fighting these beasts for two thousand or twenty thousand years or something, but Matt Damon comes in and just. Raise them all to waste. Um, they, they tried to kind of shoehorn in some kind of mutual respect love story type thing with the yeah. mandolin, and every time I just was like, please don't do that. Like you're mm. embarrassing me and yourself. Just let's just stop it there. Um, yeah. The initial attack when the 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 Taiping attack the, the Great Wall, I thought was fantastic. I thought, yeah. oh yeah, yeah I thought too. this is going to be terrific. And then the next fight scene was repetitive. I thought there was going to be different like, kind of monsters, but they were just all the one thing. You know, so yeah. It was dull, repetitive. The costumes, like you said, were fantastic. I loved the army. I loved how they all mm. were sort of colour-coded and had their own things. It yeah. was a great touch. Every time somebody spoke, the movie went down another half star. It did, yeah. <laughs> Awful. I mean, the, bizarrely, I, I did actually give it a... Th- I want. I do want to lower it now. I gave it a three star rating, but I gave it a two. Yeah, when I when I talk about the film with someone, that's when I kind of realise that one of those stars really is just because of my love for Zhang Yimou. Uh, I yeah, I, I'm not sure I can quite justify the three star rating, but there you go. It, it's it's entertaining in parts, i got to say. I mean, there is some nice bursts of action in it. Mm-hmm. It is visually stunning throughout most of it. Uh, you know, there are redeeming qualities. I do like Matt Damon in the film. I just don't like him with any of the other actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, it is what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a failure. Um, but uh, if you've never seen any other Zhang Yimo films... Please don't let this be your indicator for for his work. Please go back, watch House of Flying Daggers, watch Hero, um, you know, watch his first film, Red Sorghum, because man, I wasn't prepared for that film. Uh, I think they've just tried to be safe. They've tried to catch both the Eastern and Western audiences and just played it safe, and they've just ended up yeah. short. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, but that's that's me for my watch list, Brian. I don't know if you've got anything else you want to add. Uh, there's, there's there's plenty of others I've seen, but I, I think we'll leave it there. It's uh, you know, it's that's a good place to end. I think. So it's time for my uh, my choice uh, of movie next month. Yep, and I've been thinking about this one for a little while. And there's a movie that I've picked up on Blu-ray about three four years ago that I've wanted to revisit for the longest time, and this is an excuse to rewatch it. So I have chosen 1992's. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh. Now, um, I've, <laughs> is there a problem, Brian? Please don't make me watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have no affinity for this movie. I can't. I remember seeing it at the time. Mm. I don't really remember much else about it, so I'm really curious to check it out again. And now that I know that you don't want to watch it, I'm even more excited to meet you, Richard. <laughs> no, I, uh, when I first saw this film, I loved it. I thought it, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And then a few years later, I watched it again. I was like, oh, okay, it was, it was good, but uh, not quite as good as I remember. And then I think I saw it about six or seven years ago, and I was just like, this is really dull. Um, <laughs> but... We'll we'll see we'll see yeah. what happens. Yeah. Like I think it's been a good. Uh, the last time I seen this was in the nineties, right? So and and even then, I don't have any sort of memory of liking it or hating it. It's just I know I've seen it. Hmm. Um, so I'm really curious to to check it out again. Uh, and as for my top fives, I have chosen my top five movies with Dracula as a main character. <laughs> oh man it just it just i'm suddenly sat here thinking there are so many films that are so bad with Dracula well, as a main character let's just go no no no, no 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 stick stick with that i stick with that it's good it's fine i, I can still think of some that are pretty good um right. so try to we'll go not with the hammer movies <laughs> you can help <laughs> it is pretty much going to be a list of hammer films with maybe a universal film thrown in there for good yeah. measure but you know <coughs> yeah so that is it okay so as always uh, if you check out the comment box below you'll be able to find our social media contacts and we look forward to hearing from you uh, if you have any emails to send there is as usual as of the following Monday we hope you're enjoying that and if you want to let us know any comments about any of the episodes you've watched you can let us know on Twitter or send us an email so thanks for listening and we will see you next month on Brits on Flicks I don't know where I'm going with it. That's bollocks. Just just get rid of everything I just said then, because I have no idea where I was going with it. David Marmot. Okay. Do you want to start that sentence again? It's Brian no. De Palma. No, no, I'm just going to cut it together, because I'm lazy. <laughs> Watch how I just jump straight into it. With some of the best part of Brian. I tried. I tried. I'm sorry. I'm trying. <laughs> I thought I connected that quite well there as well. Just jump free in. Just. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have to cut that because <laughs> you just yawned in my face. Sorry, man. <laughs> you were just like. <laughs> I can see you straining to try and, uh, to try and not do it. <laughs>
That's weird because I don't, I don't even realise I've done. I don't even realise I've done it, Brian. I was actually listening to you. It's like just man, well, instantly tried to look away, but it, the damage was done. It just got me. I can see every every muscle in your face struggling to not to not show you. Oh man! Right, I'll try and pick up from. Uh... Oh man. <laughs> oh, good grief. <clears throat> you were just thinking it was about time for an outtake, weren't you? So... Yeah, getting there. 